it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Our episodes deal with serious and often distressing incidents. If you feel at any time you need support, please contact your local crisis centre. For suggested phone numbers for confidential support, please see the show notes for this episode on your app or on our website. On November 16, 2004, 41-year-old Kanarinka Simeonoska contacted the local police station in Kitchevo, a small city located in western Macedonia, to report her mother, Mitra, to be missing. The 64-year-old retired cleaner and housekeeper had left her home earlier that day for a trip to the market and hadn't been seen since. Kanarinka originally thought her mother may have gone to visit some family members after going to the market, but as time passed and Mitra failed to return home, her daughter's worry increased. An inspection of Mitra's house showed no signs of forced entry or anything to suggest a struggle had taken place, and there were no other clues to indicate where she may have gone. Kanarinka pressed the Kichevo police chief to launch an investigation into her mother's disappearance, but she was met with reluctance and an unnerving sense that the police viewed her with suspicion. When they asked her to pay them money to conduct an investigation, a frustrated Kanarinka sought help elsewhere. She walked a hundred metres down the road from her mother's home to the house belonging to renowned freelance journalist Vlado Taneski. As the primary national news contact for the municipality of Kichevo, Vlado typically covered controversial political topics that plagued the region, ranging from police corruption to rising unemployment and illegal logging. While he had covered crime stories before, most were related to less serious issues like petty theft. Despite this, when Kanarinka Simeonoska stopped by his house requesting he write an article about her mother's disappearance, Vlado agreed. When the article was published, it garnered a local curiosity, but resulted in no leads. As days passed with no sign of Mitra, Kanarinka became increasingly worried that her mother had met with harm. Yet friends and neighbours held little concern, as rumours speculated that Mitra probably ran away to escape a jealous boyfriend, or had simply relocated elsewhere and was safe and well. In the following weeks, Vlado Taneski continued to investigate Mitra's disappearance, scouting for information by interviewing her known acquaintances, but nothing worthwhile came to light. Mitra Simeonoska had vanished without a trace. Almost two months later, on January 12, 2005, a scrap collector was scavenging through the neglected construction site of a sports stadium on the outskirts of Kichevo. As he foraged through the piles of junk and waste searching for anything of worth, he noticed something at the base of a steel construction frame. There, in a shallow hole under a pile of rubbish and heavy stones, was a plastic garbage bag containing what appeared to be human remains. The Macedonian city of Kitchevo is situated within the slopes of Bistro Mountain. It offers little appeal for visitors, with its post-Yugoslavian buildings, crumbled sidewalks and bleak houses in desperate need of renovation. Most tourists don't bother stopping through, 
only glimpsing its sign on the journey south from Macedonia's capital of Skopje to Lake Okrid on the Albanian border. As was the case with most post-Yugoslavian states, the Macedonian government invested its money into more prominent and popular locales. This meant smaller towns and villages like Kicevo were often overlooked and forgotten, deteriorating quickly as they fell behind the fast-paced advances of modern life. Life was slow in Kicevo, where its 20,000 residents enjoyed a quiet and relatively peaceful existence, harboured by a close-knit community with strong traditional values. As such, Kicevo was rarely mentioned on national Macedonian news. But as word began to spread about the body found at the abandoned sports stadium, Kicevo was suddenly making national headlines. The chilling discovery shocked even the most hardened of Kicevo's local police officers, who were used to dealing with incidences of theft and domestic violence in their small town, but rarely murder. The victim was soon identified as missing 64-year-old Mitra Simeonoska. Forensic testing revealed she had been brutally beaten, raped, tortured, and strangled to death, with telephone cords used to bind her legs together. Examiners calculated Mitra had only been deceased for approximately 10 days, meaning she was kept alive and tortured by her abductor for the two months she had been missing. Community fear had little time to manifest, as police soon announced that several arrests had been made in relation to the crime. Less than two weeks before Mitra's body was found, senior citizen Radislav Bozanowski was spending New Year's Eve alone at his house in Malkets, a small village neighbouring Kichevo, when suddenly two men aged in their late 20s broke into his home under the influence of drugs and alcohol. Both assailants subjected Radislav to extreme acts of physical and sexual torture before beating him to death and fleeing the scene in possession of nothing more than some loose change. The two perpetrators were promptly arrested and identified as Kichevo locals, Ante Risteski and Igor Mercheski. When the remains of Mitra Simeonoska were discovered later that month with wounds similar to those found on Radislav, a connection between the two murders was quickly established. This link was later confirmed during a police interrogation when Risteski and Mercheski each confessed to both murders. But by the time their trial commenced months later in 2005, Risteski and Mercheski retracted their confessions in relation to Mitra Simeonoska's murder, denying any and all involvement. They claimed their confessions were false given under duress after enduring severe beatings from interrogating police officers. Whilst both accused were able to provide exhaustive details about the crimes they committed against Radislav, they claimed to know nothing about what happened to Mitra. Furthermore, Ante Risteski insisted he had a solid alibi for the day she went missing, as he had been working away from Kichevo at the time of her disappearance. Nevertheless, the judge found both of the accused guilty of double murder, and Ante Risteski and Igor Mercheski were each sentenced to life in prison. Given the disturbing nature of the two crimes in the otherwise peaceful city, the murder trial garnered intense interest from the national media. In the courtroom, the press bench was full of reporters scribbling notes as they listened to the prosecution, defence, and evidence provided by witnesses. Amongst the crowd was journalist Vlado Taneski, observing the sad conclusion to Mitra's story that he had personally been covering since she initially vanished. In his subsequent article about the trial for daily newspaper Nova Macedonia, titled Surgical Gloves for a Monstrous Murder, Vlado wrote, In handcuffs and with searching eyes, 28-year-old Ante Resteski and his friend Igor Mercheski, accused of a horrible double homicide in Kichevo and Malkets, walked into the courtroom. They stared vacantly at the ceiling and from time to time whispered, as if to themselves, it's all over and now we'll pay for our crimes.
In early November 2007, almost three years to the day since Mitra Simeonovska's abduction, 56-year-old cleaner Lubitsa Lakoska left her house to buy groceries for lunch from a nearby supermarket. Two days later, she still hadn't returned home. And on November 12, Lubitsa's son Juko filed a missing persons report with the local police. As word of Lubitsa's disappearance began to spread, investigators were at a loss, as there was nothing to suggest she had met with foul play. The 56-year-old was an upstanding citizen, a quiet, friendly woman who worked hard cleaning apartment buildings to support her family. Weeks passed, and with no sign of Lubitsa, Kichevo locals began to speculate over the similarities between her disappearance and the abduction of Mitra Simeonovska three years earlier. They were also reminded of yet another missing woman, 73-year-old Goritza Pavelska, a retired cleaner who was last seen five and a half years earlier on May 30, 2003. At the time of her disappearance, neighbours theorised that Goritza, who lived alone, had perhaps moved to Skopje to look for work without notifying anyone. Alternatively, some speculated she may have suffered a heart attack or stroke while on her own in a remote area. There was nothing at her apartment to suggest something untoward had happened, and her disappearance had been quickly pushed out of the public consciousness. But given what had happened since, Goritza's disappearance seemed far more sinister now. On February 3, 2008, a truck driver was passing through the Kachevo area on his way to the city of Gostjevar when he stopped at a roadside refreshment area near the Straja mountain range. As he gazed down into the surrounding ravine, something caught his eye. Sticking out from a rubbish-filled ditch was a human hand. Police were instantly notified and an autopsy confirmed the body in the ravine was that of missing woman Lubitsa Lakoska. Forensic testing revealed the 56-year-old had been beaten, raped, and strangled to death, her remains bound with telephone cords and wrapped in a plastic garbage bag. Lubitsa's death was calculated to have occurred just days before her body was discovered, indicating she was held captive for the three months she was missing. The similarities between the murders of Lubitsa Lakoska, Mitra Simeonovska, and, to a lesser extent, Radoslav Bozanovsky, were too obvious to ignore, especially for freelance journalist Vlado Taneski, who had covered all cases extensively for local newspapers. Days later, on February 6, Vlado expressed his suspicions in an article for Macedonia's Morning Herald newspaper. He wrote, Rumours abound. While the police are working on the case, the majority of people in Kichevo think that this murder is related to the double homicide of Mitra Simeonovska and Radoslav Bozanovsky. He speculated over the possible scenarios that could have led to Lubitsa's abduction, putting forward the possibility that the attack may not have been premeditated. He suggested she may have been hit by a car, and instead of the driver coming to her aid, they saw it as an opportunity to take advantage of the situation. Weeks later, on the evening of May 7, 2008, 65-year-old Zivana Tamulkoska, a retired janitor who now worked as a local cleaner, was sitting alone in her apartment when she received a startling phone call from a friend. They had been listening to local community radio station Canal 77, when they heard the news that Zivana's son, Zoran, had been involved in a car accident. Neighbours witnessed Zivana fleeing the apartment building with a worried expression on her face, walking at a fast pace in the direction of the hospital. In actuality, Zoran had not been involved in an accident and was perfectly fine. He returned home later that evening to find the apartment empty. When his mother failed to return home that night, Zoran questioned friends and neighbours, discovering the bizarre circumstances that led to Zivana fleeing the building. Worried, Zoran contacted police to report his mother missing, only to discover there had been no reported car accidents that evening 
This revelation raised the likelihood that the radio broadcast about Zoran's accident was not done in error, but was an elaborate hoax to lure Zivana from her apartment by whomever was responsible for her disappearance. The next day, a woman walking on a street near the local kindergarten heard a ringing sound coming from nearby and followed the noise to a discarded mobile phone lying in a patch of grass. She decided to answer the call and was startled when a police officer spoke to her, asking the woman to identify herself and ordering her to stay put. Police arrived on the scene and confirmed the mobile phone as belonging to Zivana Temelkoska. Given the location where the phone was found, police believed it had been thrown out of a moving vehicle. They were now convinced Zivana had met with foul play. On May 16, 2008, nine days after Zivana vanished, a passerby at a soccer field on the outskirts of town made a disturbing discovery. Amongst the pile of rubbish, they found a plastic garbage bag containing the body of Zivana Tamilkoska. The 65-year-old cleaner had been raped, tortured and strangled, her body bound with telephone cords. Similarities were immediately drawn to the murders of Mitra Simeonoska in 2005 and Lubica Lakoska just months earlier, with only one obvious difference. Unlike the other victims who had been found naked, Zivana was wearing a green polka dot nightgown, an item of clothing that did not belong to her. Further forensic examination revealed Zivana had likely been killed on the same day of her abduction. An autopsy revealed she had suffered multiple internal and external injuries, including five broken ribs, 13 knife wounds to the skull, and had endured violent sexual assault. Traces of semen found on Zivana's body were sent off for DNA testing as a police spokesperson fronted the media, saying, We are talking about a violent death caused in an exceptionally monstrous way. Rumours that a serial killer was active in Kachevo presented a sensational news story. Vlado Teneski, who had been reporting on the string of murders from their outset, made the connection between victims by the killer's weapon of choice, a telephone cord which was then used to bind their bodies. A unique detail too specific to be a mere coincidence. On May 19, 2008, following the discovery of Zivana Tamilkoska, Vlado Teneski wrote, The people of Kachevo live in fear and panic after another butchered body of a woman from the town was found this weekend. The local police and the citizens too see the mysterious disappearance and hideous deaths of Zivana Temelkoska and Lubica Lakoska as an act of the same man, a serial killer. Police sources confirm the existence of a serial murderer in the town based on the fact that the women were tortured and killed in the same way, which eliminates the possibility that this was done by different people. The article explained that although investigators had interrogated several suspects, all had been released from custody shortly afterwards, meaning the killer was still at large. The journalist then coined the name the unknown killer would come to be known as, stating, The motives of the Kachevo monster remain unclear. The concept of a serial killer targeting the townspeople seemed so alien that even the mayor of Kachevo stated his disbelief. Quote, We have seen something like that only in films, western films about serial killers. In our town, nobody could ever assume this could happen. But there it was. It happened. And right in our neighbourhood too. Despite the fact that her killers had already been convicted, questions still remained as to whether or not Mitra Simeonoska could have been a victim of the Kitchevo monster. Ante Rostesky and Igor Murcheski continued to profess their innocence for her murder, insisting the confessions they provided in 2005 were false. Given Mitra's crime scene bore parallels to those of Lubica Lakoska and Zivana Temelkoska, 
who were abducted and killed whilst Rosteski and Demircheski were serving time in prison. A judge requested a review of Mitra Simeonovska's case. The subsequent inquiry exposed a major error in the original investigation when it was revealed that semen obtained from Mitra's body at the time of her murder did not match either Rosteski or Mircheski's DNA. This critical information was known by investigators prior to the trial in 2005, but was never presented in court. Although police insisted this crucial DNA evidence had been passed on to all relevant parties at the time, including the public prosecutor, it soon became clear that the DNA results were intentionally withheld to ensure a speedy conviction for Mitra Simeonovska's brutal murder. Following this revelation, Ante Rosteski and Igor Mircheski were cleared for the wrongful conviction of the murder of Mitra Simeonovska, but remained incarcerated for the murder of Radoslav Bozanovsky, which they continued to accept responsibility for. No one was held responsible for suppressing the DNA evidence that ultimately proved their innocence. The error became a major embarrassment for Kichevo police and the Justice Department, their unethical actions enabling the Kichevo monster to continue to roam freely and harm others. With Mitra Simeonovska's murder officially revised to unsolved, the semen sample found on her body was tested against the sample found on Zivana Temelkoska. While neither sample matched any known offenders within the criminal database, the semen found on both victims was confirmed to have come from the same perpetrator, expelling any doubts that a serial killer was at large. In a bid to catch the Kichevo monster, Local law enforcement collaborated with the superiorly resourced Skopje police force to create a psychological profile of their suspect. They deduced he was likely a middle-aged male with the substantial physical strength required to restrain and strangle his victims before transporting their bodies. He had to be intimately familiar with Kachevo, and given there was no evidence of a struggle at any of his victims' homes or elsewhere, it was possible he was known and trusted by each woman. The abductions and subsequent slayings appeared to be planned in advance, suggesting the killer had a higher-than-average intelligence, while the similarities between each implied he was well-organised. The killer's haphazard way of discarding his victims within city limits was explained by a police spokesperson who stated, whether it was three weeks or three years after they were murdered, the killer wanted the bodies to be found. The killer's preferred victim suggested he harboured sexual frustration towards older women that had likely stemmed from childhood trauma and developed into sadomasochistic desires. Although it couldn't be ruled out that the Kichevo monster had an accomplice, investigators believed he acted alone. The psychological profile enabled police to narrow down their search but a large pool of potential suspects remained. A much-needed breakthrough in the investigation came when a jersey located near Zivana Temelkoska's body was found to contain traces of an unknown person's blood, opening up the possibility it belonged to her killer. Police had the blood sample tested to determine the blood type, allowing the suspect pool to be narrowed down further. Through a process of elimination, the number of suspects was whittled down to approximately 150 men. Each was brought in for police questioning and were eliminated one by one, bringing the list down to just 10 names. After verifying the alibis of the 10 remaining persons of interest, police were left with just three likely suspects. DNA samples were taken from each but would take days to be tested against evidence collected from the crime scenes. The comprehensive efforts undertaken by police were eagerly overseen by the media, including the main reporter responsible for covering the case, Vlado Taneski. In one newspaper article, he wrote, Several teams of police experts are working day and night in the field and the laboratory to establish the identity of the serial killer. Yet, unbeknownst to the press and public, 
Investigators were already confident they had identified the Kachevo monster. On the afternoon of June 20, 2008, Ognan Charcharic, an editor for daily newspaper Nova Macedonia, received a phone call from one of his contacts at the Kachevo Police Department, advising that an arrest had been made in relation to the recent spate of murders. His contact wouldn't disclose the identity of the suspect in custody, but Ognan verified the information with the Ministry of the Interior, who confirmed it to be true. The Kachevo monster had been caught. Recognising the breaking story presented his publication a huge opportunity, Ognan immediately grabbed his phone and called his go-to contact in Kachevo, award-winning freelance journalist Vlado Taneski. But much to his dismay, the call went unanswered. Ogden dialed again and again, but still there was no response. This was highly out of character for Vlado, who was consistently reliable and always available when needed. Given that Vlado had been covering the case of the Kachevo monster since the beginning, it was even more unusual for him to be missing during the most significant moment of the entire investigation. Ognan's inability to reach Vlado Taneski led him to believe his star journalist was two steps ahead and had already learnt of the news and ventured to the police station to chase down a scoop. Ognan called the police station again, expecting to locate Vlado there, but was instead told by an officer, you don't have a reporter in Kichevo anymore. Earlier that afternoon, Dozens of police officers had closed in on an unassuming house in a quiet residential neighbourhood of Kachevo. The house was typical of the area, a modern two-storey building surrounded by fir trees and overgrown bushes, its metal window shutters half-drawn. Police entered the property and placed its owner, 56-year-old Vlado Taneski, under arrest for murder. Onlookers were left stunned as they watched the upstanding, soft-spoken and solitary journalist being led away in handcuffs. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Unbeknownst to his editors, journalist Vlado Taneski had been a person of interest for the killing since early in the investigation and had been called in for police questioning multiple times. He fit the profile of the killer impeccably. The 56-year-old was tall and in good physical shape, lived alone in the same neighbourhood as the murdered women, and was known to each of them. Initial suspicions were cast upon Taneski when investigators noticed he had the uncanny ability to stay one step ahead of his journalistic rivals. He was able to write about the murders with a deep level of insight that included specific details police had intentionally withheld from the press. Taneski wrote that police had wrongfully convicted Ante Rosteski and Igor Mircheski for Mitra Simeonovska's murder long before the case was reviewed and DNA evidence confirmed their innocence. He was also the first person to publicly suggest the serial killer was responsible for the deaths of Mitra, Zivana and Lubica, long before police had suggested the same. Additionally, Taneski speculated over the way in which Zivana Temelkoska had been abducted, 
specifying that she may have been coaxed from her house by false radio reports that her son had been involved in an accident. As a reporter, Tanesky regularly submitted stories for inclusion on local radio news bulletins, ensuring he had the means to issue a false statement for broadcast. Suspicions directed towards Tanesky were fully ignited when police noticed a seemingly offhand detail in an article he wrote for Nova Macedonia about Lubica Lukoska's murder. Quote, the monstrous murderer brutally tortured the helpless woman, killing her by strangling her with a telephone cord. The fact that a telephone cord was used as the killer's signature weapon was not publicly known at the time and had been strategically withheld by police to maintain the integrity of their investigation, a police spokesperson said. We read Tanesky's stories and they made us suspicious. He knew too much. Following his arrest, Tanesky insisted he didn't know any of the victims personally, a remark that only served to further arouse police suspicion. They were fully aware that Tanesky lived in the same close-knit neighbourhood as the murdered women and that each had been an associate of his late mother. Furthermore, Dubica Lakoska had previously worked as a cleaner for Tanesky, and the two had once worked together at the local metal factory. Tanesky was held in police custody for 24 hours but refused to provide a statement. His answers to questions were evasive and he declined the invitation to contact a lawyer or advise anyone of his arrest. In the meantime, the results of his DNA testing came back. Three independent lab tests revealed Tanesky's blood sample matched traces of semen found on Mitra Simeonoska and Zivana Tamolkoska, as well as the blood-stained jersey found next to Zivana's body. Based on these discoveries, Vlado Tanesky was formally charged with the murders of Mitra and Zivana. Initial DNA testing in relation to evidence obtained from Lubica Lakoska's crime scene was inconclusive but forensic investigators initiated the examination of seven human hairs discovered at the dump site near her body. It would take a number of weeks before these results came back, giving police ample time to look into Vlado Tanesky's history to learn what could have motivated the well-respected journalist to carry out such a brutal string of crimes. Born in Kachevo in 1952, Vlado Tanesky was the middle child in a traditional Macedonian household with an older sister and younger brother. His father Trajan had fought in World War II before spending most of his adult life working as a night watchman in a timber factory. His mother Gorica worked as a cleaner at the local hospital. The couple were firm disciplinarians, often resorting to corporal punishment to ensure their children's obedience. After his siblings left home, Vlado Tanesky was left to care for his aging parents alone. He found a passion for journalism and politics that developed in his teenage years, where he served as the head of Kichevo's communist youth organisation. After graduating high school, he worked at a local metal factory, but his aspirations for journalism led him to go on and study at a political school in Croatia. At 21 years old, Tanesky attended a regional poetry reading, which was a huge success for the young writer. Not only did his poem win first place, he also met a striking young law student named Vesna. The two bonded over their love of literature and began dating soon after, deciding to get married four years later. Days before their wedding, Vesna's family were in a car accident which claimed the lives of both her father and brother. She survived the ordeal, but the trauma led her to suffer from depression throughout the remainder of her life. Although, this didn't stop her from fulfilling her goals, and she went on to complete her law degree, becoming the first female lawyer in Kachevo. At the same time, her husband began working at the local radio station, before securing a position as a full-time reporter for the largest daily newspaper in the country, Nova Macedonia. Although theirs was a supportive marriage, it had issues from the start, 
stemming from Vesna's conservative and authoritarian in-laws. She'd watch her husband as he often clashed with his parents, turning his typically gentle demeanour into one of agitation and aggression. Whenever Vesna voiced her issues about her mother-in-law, Tanesky always sided with his mother. Other than these issues, the pair had a relatively happy marriage and were well respected within their community. They had two sons who grew up to establish successful careers as academics and doctors, with Tanesky taking on the role of a helpful and supportive father. The Tanesky's owned a secluded summer cottage five kilometres from Kachevo, where the family's ageing patriarch, Tryon, chose to spend a majority of his golden years, tending to his vegetable gardens and raising goats in solitude. The ramshackle old cottage was surrounded by cornfields in the middle of nowhere, which suited the elderly man perfectly. Then, in August 2002, Tryon was found dead in the cottage, with his death rumoured to have been the result of suicide. Following Tryon's death, things only went downhill for the family. In December 2002, just four months after the death of her husband, matriarch Godritza took an accidental overdose of sleeping pills and passed away in the family home. The sudden deaths of his parents introduced financial problems to Vlado Tanesky's life, as he no longer received income from their pensions to help with the bills. To make matters worse, in 2003, the newspaper he had been employed by for 20 years, Nova Macedonia, was also experiencing financial hardship, and as a result, he was laid off from his full-time position. After starting work as a freelance writer for several publications, Tanesky was paid on commission, but without the stable income, the responsibility of financially supporting their family lay on his wife's shoulders. In 2004, the Ministry of Education offered Vesna a promotion to the position of University Inspector, a career advancement which meant she would have to relocate to Skopje, the country's capital. Vesna bought an apartment close to her new workplace, while her husband remained in Kachevo alone, planning to join her in Skopje when the timing was right. In the meantime, Tanesky gained a technical qualification and opened a local air conditioning store to ensure he was bringing in regular income. Vesna regarded her husband as a progressive thinker who was far too ambitious to waste his talents in the small town of Kachevo, but he strongly preferred the quiet, provincial way of life. Tanesky believed capitalism, Western ideals, and the open market economy were destroying the traditions of his country, and he longed for the time before Macedonia's independence from Yugoslavia. Those ideals spilled into his writing, where he wrote long nostalgic articles romancing the Macedonian countryside, glorifying manual labour and the rural lifestyle. Many regarded Tanesky's writing as outdated, and there were conflicting views about his journalistic style in a country intent on keeping up with modern times. While there didn't seem to be much interest in his whimsical long-form prose, Tanesky was committed to succeeding in the career he'd worked a lifetime to establish. When the Kachevo monster began his reign of terror, Vlado Tanesky secured himself as the lead reporter on the case, interviewing friends and family of the victims whilst writing up stories for several major publications, ensuring his content received nationwide coverage. When Mitra Simeonoska disappeared, Tanesky agreed to write an article about the case on behalf of her daughter, Kanarinka. Yet, even after two men were convicted for Mitra's murder, Tanesky inexplicitly continued to investigate and report on the crime. When Lubica Lakoska disappeared, Tanesky met with her worried family and sat with her sister as she described Lubica as quiet and gentle. Details he later used in his articles on the missing woman. Lubica's sister later stated, I never suspected that he was the murderer. I knew him as a good, honest person. We weren't close at all, but we were neighbours. Tanesky door-knocked to the area when Zivana Tamilkoska disappeared, 
again interviewing neighbours, relatives and law enforcement before publishing his findings in articles on the crime. Her son Zoran stated, When my mother disappeared, Tineski asked me questions. Even when he met me in the street, he'd inquire if I had news or if I suspected anyone in particular. We were neighbours for a long time, knew each other for years, so it never even crossed my mind that he might be the guilty one. Upon learning that police had arrested the journalist in relation to his mother's murder, Zoran said, You can't describe the feeling. It was very hard on me. To have someone kill your mother and then come to your house to say hi. It's horrifying. Thorough searches of Vlado Tineski's properties uncovered a collection of pornographic videos and magazines at his family's remote summer cottage, along with various ropes and cords. Items of clothing and shoes belonging to the victims were also found at the cottage, leading police to speculate he had held the women captive at his property, where they were brutally tortured and sexually abused over an extended period of time, before he killed them and disposed of their bodies. Vesna stood by her husband and insisted the items of clothing in question belonged to her late mother-in-law. Yet, the green polka dot nightgowns Ivana Temelkoska was wearing at the time her body was discovered was believed to have once belonged to Vlado Tineski's mother, indicating a possible connection between the murders and Tineski's maternal relationship. Adding to this theory was the fact the victims shared many similarities with his mother Goritza Tineski, in that they were of similar age, appearance, and held the same job as a cleaner. When interviewed for the documentary series Evil Up Close, British psychologist Emma Short explained the likelihood that Tineski had selected his victims based on their similarities to his mother. Considering the murder spree had begun after his mother's death, it was possible Tineski's desire to kill was linked to the loss. Emma Short, quote, He was clearly very strongly attached to her, but a strong attachment to a parent doesn't always mean love. Sometimes it can mean hate or resentment, but those things are just as powerful as love. The day after Tineski was placed under arrest, the Ministry of Interior released a public statement announcing the Kachevo monster had finally been caught. Vlado Tineski's full name was released, along with details about his occupation and a list of the evidence so far collected against him. The revelations sent shockwaves throughout the country. Macedonia's Morning Herald newspaper broke the major news story, which was unlike any the media or public had ever heard before. The article read, Is it possible that around the family lived such a killer, who was hiding so skillfully behind the mask of loyal and faithful husband, proud father, gentle son-in-law, and exemplary son? Many refused to believe the allegations, with speculation rife that police had framed Tineski due to his intricate coverage of the case which pointed out the many failings of Macedonian law enforcement throughout the investigation. In an interview with Esquire magazine, a close friend and former colleague of Tineski's described his friend of 20 years as shy, humble and unobtrusive. Quote, I never felt there was any aggression, anger or inhumanity within him. Vlado just seemed completely normal. When I heard that he was accused of being the serial killer, it was as if a lightning had struck me. In an article for the Financial Times, one of Tineski's former editors stated, To say that I was gobsmacked is an understatement. I was speechless. I was shaking. I couldn't believe he was the serial killer. And part of me still doesn't believe it. Even relatives of the Kachevo monster's victims were uncertain whether to believe the news. Lubica Lakoska's sister said she could never have suspected Tineski was the murderer, as she had only known him to be a good and honest person. Although not everyone remembered him that way, one neighbour described Tineski as a mysterious, silent man who never said so much as hello throughout his entire life. 
Another neighbour recalled him to be strange and antisocial. Vlado Teneski was ordered to remain in police custody for a 30-day detention period before legal proceedings commenced. He was assigned a public defender and transferred to a prison in Totovo, a town located 70 kilometres north of Kachevo. Upon his admission to prison, a medical review declared him to be of good health. A prisoner accused of crimes as serious as Teneski's was expected to be treated carefully and provided with their own cell. However, like most of the jails in Macedonia at the time, Totovo prison was severely overcrowded. Teneski was placed into the only space available, a tiny cell consisting of two bunk beds and a grimy bathroom containing a toilet, sink and a large bucket. The small cell already housed three inmates, two men in their 20s who had been charged for meddling in the recent parliamentary election, and a 49-year-old awaiting trial for poisoning a 14-year-old girl. Severe water restrictions meant taps were turned off during the day, and inmates were instead provided with bottles of drinking water and plastic buckets to use for personal hygiene. These restrictions occurred during daytime hours only, and weren't enforced during the night. On June 23, 2008, three days after Tineski's arrest, one of his cellmates awoke to the sound of running water just before 2am. The prisoner went into the bathroom and found Tineski on his knees with his arms by his side, face down in a bucket of dirty water. Correction officers rushed into the cell, but attempts to resuscitate him were unsuccessful. By the time a doctor arrived, Vlado Teneski was dead. A search of his body revealed three items inside his pockets. A round-trip train ticket from Kachevo to Skopje, a blister pack of the antidepressant medication paroxetine, and a note directing authorities to check under the pillow on his bed. There, they found a second note, which read, I am proud of my family and I love them very much. I have not done any of the things I am accused of. I did not commit these murders. A subsequent autopsy of Tineski's body found the presence of water in his lungs, confirming drowning to be his cause of death. Other than a small bruise on his forehead which was sustained whilst his body spasmed during the drowning, there were no other signs of violence or defensive injuries to suggest foul play was involved. Testing of the water in the bucket revealed no traces of sedatives, chemicals or poisons. The prison's governor confirmed Teneski had not been behaving suspiciously or raised any cause for concern in the day prior to his death. He communicated well with his cellmates, ate all of his meals and acted normally. There were no marks or injuries on any of Tineski's cellmates to suggest that they could have been involved in his death in any way. During their attempts to resuscitate Tineski, prison guards had dragged him from the cell into a hallway, contaminating the scene. Without knowing specific facts like the exact positioning of Tineski's body at the time of his death, an inquest concluded the journalist had voluntarily ended his own life. A police spokesperson stated, He put his head in a pail full of water. He ended his life like in a horror movie. Under Macedonian criminal law, the prosecution of a deceased person is not permitted, meaning there would be no further legal proceedings against Vlado Teneski. Given the highly unusual way that Teneski had chosen to end his life, Conspiracy theories ran rife that implicated police in his death, with claims that correction officers had purposely sabotaged the crime scene to hinder any further investigations. Some of the wilder theories suggested the journalist had been a victim of waterboarding from officials desperate to extract a confession. Some started to speculate that government officials had framed Tineski for the murders and orchestrated his death with his DNA either planted or falsified to ensure the case was solved quickly, as with the botched conviction of Ante Rosteski and Igor Macheski. Although, 
This seemed highly unlikely given the Republic of Macedonia aimed to join the European Union, and any further significant failures of their judicial system would reflect poorly on the developing country. The Macedonian government had much more to gain from conducting a fair trial of the accused serial killer and delivering a verdict based on the presentation of fair and factual evidence. The conspiracy theories reached political level, with several journalists criticising Macedonia's executive and judicial power. They blamed the Ministry of Interior for revealing Vlado Tanesky's identity on national television the day following his arrest, an act they believed compromised the possibility of him receiving a fair trial. The entire investigation against Tanesky was heavily scrutinised, including the fact that no witnesses were present when key evidence was collected from his home and the remote summer cottage where his victims were allegedly imprisoned. Two weeks after Vlado Tanesky's death, the DNA test results for the seven hairs found near Lubica Lukoska's body were in, revealing they belonged to Tanesky. A police spokesperson said, All these women were raped, molested and murdered in the most terrible way and we have very strong evidence that Tanesky was responsible for all three. In the end, there were many things that pointed to him as a suspect that led us to file charges against him for two of the murders. We were close to charging him with a third murder and hoped he would give us details of a fourth woman who disappeared in 2003 because we believe he was involved in that case too. The fourth woman was 73-year-old Gorica Pavelska, the retired cleaner who hadn't been seen since May 2003. Whether or not Tanesky was involved with her disappearance would now likely never be determined. Her whereabouts remain unknown. Members of the public continued to form strong opinions on the matter. Macedonia's leading criminologist, Marian Kotevsky, called Tanesky's suicide balanced and tendentious, saying the only person who had anything to gain from Tanesky's death was Tanesky himself. He believed that when faced with the evidence, Tanesky had cautiously examined all the pros and cons of his situation and chose a mysterious outcome that would ensure he avoided the embarrassment of a public trial while causing people to question his guilt, therefore protecting his family from disgrace. Using great willpower, Marianne Katevsky believed it was very possible that Tanesky had overcome his biological reflexes to gasp for air, and he was able to keep his head underwater until he eventually passed out and died. Another controversial issue surrounding Tanesky's suicide was the paroxetine tablets found in his pockets at the time of his death. The main ingredient in this medication is a selective serotonin reuptake inhibitor, or SSRI, which is used to treat depression, anxiety, and post-traumatic stress disorder. Although paroxetine is a popular drug with many health benefits when administered correctly, it is also very potent. Several studies have linked the medication to an increase in suicidal thoughts and behaviours in certain individuals who use it. In Macedonia, there was a certain stigma surrounding mental health, especially in more traditional communities like Kitchevo. Despite paroxetine being proven to be effective in treating a range of mental health issues, many avoided seeking treatment out of fear of being judged by family members, neighbours or co-workers. Vlado Tanesky had faced a difficult and challenging period from 2002 onwards after the unexpected death of both his parents, followed closely by the loss of his long-term job, but he never sought medical help from his doctor. In Macedonia, paroxetine was available over the counter and Tanesky had been purchasing it without a prescription. Therefore, it was unknown how long he had been taking the medication for and whether or not it could have influenced his decision to end his life. Due to Macedonia's criminal law against prosecuting a deceased person, in September 2008, officials confirmed that the investigation into the murders of Mitra Simeonoska, Lubica Lakoska and Zavana Temelkoska was officially closed. 
There were still many people unconvinced of Tanesky's guilt. Daniela Trupchevska, a crime reporter from Macedonia's Morning Herald newspaper, stated, Police said it was suicide. Others, like me, don't think so. And I'm not 100% convinced that Vlado was the killer either. After all, he never stood trial. Sometimes I think maybe he really did it. Maybe he killed those poor women and he had some awful desire or need to write about it. But then again, he didn't seem like he could harm anyone, let alone be a serial killer. In an interview with journalist Dmitriy Kanarov for literary magazine Virginia Quarterly Review, Vlado Tanesky's widow Vesna continued to stick by her husband, believing him to be innocent. She explained, I went to see him in custody and the police told me I shouldn't waste my money on lawyers since they had pretty solid evidence against him. When I saw him, I asked him if he was guilty or not and he said, I don't know what you're talking about. I told him I'd forgive him everything if he would just tell me the truth. He swore by his own children he wasn't guilty. He said, Greet the children for me and tell them I haven't done anything wrong. One day, things will be cleared up. Many others staunchly disagreed, pointing out that Tanesky published information in his articles that only the killer could know while also arguing that Tanesky's DNA found on the bodies of the victims proved without doubt that he was responsible for their deaths. A police spokesperson said, The results are absolutely categorical. It was a 100% match. It's unfortunate for us that because the suspect died, the case will never go to trial and our evidence cannot be presented in court. In 2001, the Macedonian Institute for Media established a journalistic code of ethics in accordance with the constitution of the Republic of Macedonia. The code states that the main duty of the journalist is to respect the truth and the right of the public to be informed, while striving to prevent censorship and distortion of news. Journalists are required to respect ethical values and professional standards, while reporting honestly and objectively at all times. The code specifically states, Having in mind their role in the building of democracy and civic society, journalists shall defend human rights, dignity and freedom. In an interview with Esquire magazine, Vesna Tanesky spoke of her late husband's love for his chosen profession, saying journalism was something he couldn't live without. Quote, If he was given an assignment, he would drop everything. Whenever he was working, he would rub his hands together and be so happy. However, many former colleagues dispute Tanesky's journalistic integrity, claiming that throughout his career his writing was full of cliches and often didn't satisfy the basic journalistic structure or standards. As stated by Dr. Mimosa Rostova, a science professor specialising in forensics at Skopje University, Quote, Vlado Tanesky didn't have a source for much of the information in his reports. The only source he had was himself. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.